lost track of time. But let me open us in prayer, and then we can start. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for the privilege of being able to study your word. And we do ask for grace as we study uh, Paul's epistles to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians. Uh, very, very important letters. A uh, lot of uh, riches here. So please uh, bless our time together. Teach us. Keep us from error, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go through First and Second Corinthians first. And then we'll do first and second Thessalonians in the second session. So um, yeah, probably first, especially first Corinthians is one of the most uh, appropriate books for for people who live in 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 South Africa in major cities, or you could say even in the West, in major cities, because Corinth uh, was a church that Paul planted, and uh, Corinth is a city in Greece, so just remember our map from the Old Testament Mediterranean Sea, Israel's over here, you come along, that's Turkey, it goes up here, the Black Sea, and then across the the Dardanelles here is, we get Macedonia, and then Greece comes down, and then it narrows in a certain point and comes out again, and Corinth is situated there. It's a, called an isthmus, if you're interested in that. It's a narrow strip of land between two bodies of water, and it was a, a very wealthy city. Uh, it... It was a port city, but almost two ports, because at certain times of the year, there were storms over here, so ships, it was too dangerous to travel around for trade. So what ships would do, because over here is Italy, what ships would do is they would dock here, then they would take the boat out the water, they would, there's, the road is still there, there's actually a, uh, a canal there now, but it didn't exist then, and they would... Uh, push the boat across to the other side. It's a few kilometers across to the other side and then drop it in there. And so they would avoid the storms. And uh, so it was a port city, um, very wealthy. Uh, there were many temples there to to false gods and goddesses. Uh, I think it's very famous for... Um, there was a large temple to Poseidon and three temples to the goddess Aphrodite or Venus. And the Greeks believed that you communed with the gods through sexual uh, intercourse, through intercourse. So they had temple prostitutes. Okay, so uh, they they say there are probably over a thousand temple prostitutes in Corinth. So um, a sexually immoral city, a pluralistic city, because there were lots of religions. A, a wealthy city. People there were, were self-made people. They were entrepreneurs. And, and so you can see very similar to the, the world we live in, especially in a, in a large city. So very relevant. And then as you go through the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you see that the church has these problems because the church is situated in Corinth. And of course, when we are saved... We don't suddenly become perfect and 
you know, everything just falls away. Now we no longer battle with sin. We come into the church with our sin. Some of it does fall away straight away, but our wrong thinking is not suddenly, you know, suddenly we think perfectly. We come into the church with that baggage and with that wrong thinking. And so Paul has to deal with this uh, when he, he interacts with the Corinthians. So um, a lot for us to learn because the problems that we face today in a city like Johannesburg are very similar. And there's a similar confusion in the church to what was in Corinth as well. Now, uh, just up front, the, the, most scholars believe there are four letters Four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. The one that we, so let's say one, two, three, four. The one we call 1 Corinthians would be the second letter. And the one we call 2 Corinthians would be the fourth letter. Okay, so let me just show you how we, how we get that. Um, so look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to, not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters and saying you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So notice what he says there. I wrote to you in my letter. So you say that's the first letter he wrote to them, which we don't have. Okay. Uh, we, we don't have that letter. And there he tells them not to associate with sexually immoral people. They then uh, confuse it. They think, well, you know, we should, the baker is sexually immoral. We shouldn't go to that bakery anymore, whatever. They, were just, they just sort of started to withdraw. Uh, they then write a letter back to him. So he writes a letter to the Corinthians. They write a letter back to them, back to him. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So you can see they write back to him and they ask questions. And this is where interpreting First uh, Corinthians can be very difficult because in the in the original the ancient manuscripts there's no question marks there's no quotation marks so sometimes we don't know is Paul quoting what they said or is this what he says okay uh, now if you read carefully I think we can figure out so for example when he says it's not good for someone to have sexual relations or it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman that's what they wrote. Okay, Paul is not saying that. Um, they're, they're confused about sex and marriage and foods and drink and so many things. So it adds to their difficulties. And also Paul likes to use a bit of sarcasm. Okay, uh, And again, if you're not aware of that, then uh, especially uh, Pentecostal or charismatic churches love 1 Corinthians because it's in in this letter where he talks about gifts, spiritual gifts, and speaking in tongues. And so they say, see, you know, it's, but when you read more carefully, he's actually rebuking them for their confusion over these things. And he's being sarcastic with them often. 
Okay, mm. he's not promoting it. For example, when he says, you know, if you speak, um, a person who speaks by themselves in an unknown tongue edifies themselves. He's not saying that in a positive way, because because you get that people like it's my private prayer language. You know, I just speak in tongues when I'm in the car. It's just amazing. The whole argument when you read those chapters is he's saying that is selfish. The gifts are for the church. So when he says you edify yourself, it's, it's, it's sarcasm. He's saying that's ridiculous because you're not edifying anyone else. You're not helping the church. Because, and, and we, we won't have time to go into full detail, but we will look at it just to try and, and, and explain some of that. Okay, then the third letter is known as his severe letter. So if you, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Uh, verse 3, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. Um, and so he, he writes this severe letter to them. And you can check in chapter 7, verse 8 as well. He writes this very strongly worded letter to them, which then causes them to repent. And then Second Corinthians, what we call Second Corinthians, is the fourth letter where he rejoices in their repentance but there's still work to be done. Okay, but we'll get to Second Corinthians. Does that make sense? Is everyone clear on that? Okay. Interesting discussion. What What do you think if we found tomorrow they discovered the third letter? Do you think we should add it to the Bible or not? I think I think <laughs> if we found these letters, they would be inspired by God because they were the teachings of the apostle. But uh, what I would have to say is that they would add nothing to the Bible because what we have is sufficient. Okay. So there would be no new doctrine. There would be no new insight. It would, it would just be what we already know. But it would still be God's word because it's, it's written by the apostle to the church. Okay. But it's hypothetical. But it's interesting to think about uh, what God has res- preserved for us is, is letters 2 and 4, of what we call 1st and 2nd, and they're very, very important. Okay, Paul plants the church in Corinth. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. Um, so he plants the church. There's Priscilla and Aquila. Sosthenes is the ruler of the synagogue. Remember, he'd always go to the synagogue, and he plants the church there. Um, and so let's get into the problems in the church. Very, very <laughs> problematic church. Okay. Uh, but let me go through the problems and then show you how amazing it is that. Um, okay. Does anyone anyone know some of the problems in the church in Corinth? Sexual immorality. Yeah. So sexual immorality. It's a big one. Corruption. Uh, that that sort of comes later in Second Corinthians with the false teachers, the false apostles who come in. They are corrupt. Um, that's not so much a problem in the congregation. Um, drunkenness. Drunkenness at the communion table. Okay, ever been to a church like that? I suppose this is one in. Think so. Anyway, false gods. So drunkenness at communion, that's quite remarkable. 
false gods? Uh, well, because I mean, they were in the temples, Greek. I'm guessing they were embodiments of, um, you know, like Greek worship and things like that. No, they bring in they bring in sort of um, wrong thinking, but okay. I don't think idolatry is not. Ah, uh, well, I suppose First Corinthians ten. Which one yeah, first. So First Corinthians ten might be saying something along the lines that they, that yeah. um, they need to watch out for. Which city was it with the Temple of Diana, or was that? Um, no, I think they all said. Um, okay. Yeah, so let's let's say idolatry, but uh, we don't want to make it full blown idolatry that they're like they're pagans, but there are there's confusion. Mm. Uh, there's lots of division in the church. They had their favorite preachers. Mm. They said, you know, some said we're of Peter. We like, we like Apollos. We're of Paul. And then you had the very spiritual ones who said we're of Jesus. Uh, so. <laughs> how, so like in this day and age, um, how, like, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Or is it like, does it just depend? What, division? Not division, but like, you know, you know how some people follow like pastors around um, uh, can, 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 like, is that completely a bad thing? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just get the list and then we'll okay, go through cool. them. Um, tremendous confusion over spiritual gifts. That's a big one. Um, that's still a problem for us today. Okay. And especially tongues. Is there? We'll just leave that for now. Okay, so the first one, but okay, with all these problems, I mean, I don't think you've probably never been to a church where they got drunk at communion. Um, you may well have had, you know, there's been division in the church, there's been confusion about spiritual gifts, there's been sexual immorality, and in, in that's not dealt with. Okay, that's the thing. In fact, they were boasting about it. There was a man who was uh, sleeping with his mother in law. And they were actually boasting how gracious they are. Like, how, you, know, you know how people today say we, we're so sophisticated that we don't get upset about these, these things that people used to get upset about. That's sort of what they were doing. Paul says even the pagans don't behave like that. Okay. You need to deal with this guy. So he's actually excommunicated, but it seems that he's repentant and is brought back in Second Corinthians. Okay, so serious, serious problems. But again, remember where they've come from. And Paul starts off by saying in, in verse 4 of chapter 1, I give thanks to my God always for you. Isn't that amazing? He calls them brothers and sisters in the Lord. Remember last week when we did Galatians, the Galatians weren't doing any of these things. But the Galatians were in danger of losing the gospel. So it's not, it's not that sin is okay. It's not okay. But sinning is different to losing the gospel. Okay. This type of sin. So Paul freaks out at the Galatians. Remember I said he doesn't even thank God for them. He's like, I don't even know if you guys are saved. Maybe I've just wasted my time on you. Because while they were not doing all these things, in fact, they were probably very proud of their, their law keeping. They had, they had moved away from the gospel, the salvation by grace alone. So, just to say, 
there's grace. There's grace for sin, and there's forgiveness, and, and victory, and all of those things. These, Paul still calls them brothers and sisters. Paul still gives thanks for this church. Uh, and it's a lesson for us um, to, to, to also give thanks for churches that preach the gospel, even if there's other stuff going on, okay? Um, as long as they're preaching the gospel. Paul even says that he rejoices in some guys who are preaching the gospel, who were trying to hurt him, actually. Their, their motive was evil, but he's just grateful the gospel's going out. And just encouragement, because we sin. And, but there's, again, there's forgiveness and grace. Okay. So, okay. He starts off, though, with division. That's the first thing. There's division in the church. As I said, they have their favorite preachers. Um, now, is it wrong to, to have favorite preachers? No, in and of itself, it's not wrong. I mean, there's going to be people that we enjoy more listening to and connect with more, understand better. Um, the issue is in a local church where it then becomes divisive, to say. You know, I, oh, who's preaching this week? Ah, I'm not coming. I'm not coming this week. <laughs> Tell me when the other guy's preaching, then I'll, then I'll come through. And that's incorrect. So uh, in a church community, then it, we should be um, committed to submitting to and obeying faithful preaching of God's word. Um, even when, you know, the, the, the pastor, the preacher is not the most gifted in the world, or um, we call it, it's homiletics, if you don't know, know the technical term. Homiletics is the, the art of preaching and presentation. So the person might not be the most gifted, but as long as they're preaching God's word faithfully and they actually have the gift of... So this is important. So it's not just, oh, he's a nice guy, but he can't preach to save his life. Well, then he shouldn't be in ministry, okay? There must be some gifting to preach, to hold people's attention and to connect with people. That people can say, yes, I understand what has been said. Yes, I, uh, the Lord works through, through that. But they were they were divisive, okay, and God hates division. Okay. Um, Paul does say though that sometimes there must be division. Okay, so he understands that. He says sometimes there must be division, so those who are approved by God may come forth. So God hates division; it's a last resort. But sometimes it is necessary for churches to split or for. You know, the Reformation, that's what happened. Martin Luther didn't want to, to, to split. He just wanted to reform the Catholic Church, but they were not willing to reform, and so there was a split. Okay. So that's the first thing, but again, he brings it to Christ. He says, is Christ divided? Okay. Did, Christ, did, did Peter die for you? Did Paul die for you? Did, no, it's Christ. Okay. So uh, one of the beautiful things about Paul is that he brings everything to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gets to the heart. Okay, so um, you can see that in chapter 3. He, he talks about division in the church. Chapter 5, he goes into... Uh, sorry, chapter 4, he starts... He goes into uh, what we might call now um, prosperity theology or dominion theology. The idea that you know, we are the king's kids... We're the head and not the tail. Um, we're ruling and reigning. Uh, name it and claim it. 
And Paul is very sarcastic to them. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And then he says, And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. He says, I wish you guys were ruling, because I would like to join with that. Uh, He says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Now you can see how you you could read it in another way, couldn't you? Okay. But it wouldn't fit with the tenor of the whole Bible and the theology of the whole Bible. You have to read it that Paul is being sarcastic. Okay. Why is it that the apostles, the greatest Christians, with the most insight, the most revelation, the most gifts, are the scum of the earth, the offscouring of the earth? Um, he says that there. Um, in Verse 13, we have become and are still like the scum of the world. Literally the excrement of the world. That's what he's saying. Okay. The refuse of all things. So why are we like that? You guys are ruling and reigning. You know, we are weak, but you are strong. Okay. You see, he's mocking them. He says, verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. So that already tells you that it's a correction. Okay. So again, that helps us to understand in the context um, so, again, this, this idea of ruling and reigning and, and, you know, if you're a real Christian, you'll, get, you'll prosper and have dominion and um, Paul smashes. He says, no, Christians are going to be persecuted. We, we're going to be rejected. We're going to be reviled. Okay. Chapter 5. Verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. He says you ought to rather have mourned. They should have wept over the sin in their midst. So he says, uh, he has some church discipline. He says in verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so uh, he's saying that there must be this discipline so that the person can be saved ultimately. Okay, Uh, it doesn't mean every time the person will be saved, but that's the desire. It's for their own good, just as faithful parents discipline their children. so a faithful church will d- discipline those who are uh, continuing unrepentant sin. Um, okay, and then, he, then the passage that we looked at, and I think this is an important one. Um, verse 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Okay, So this is a helpful corrective. So many Christians are obsessed with fixing the world. Mm. Um, Moaning about the government and moaning about this and that. And, you know, we have to stand up and we have to do this. and We've got to fix all these things. And Paul's like, what have I got to do with judging the world? (laughs) How do you think sinners are going to behave? 
He says, they're going to be sexually immoral. They're going to do all of these things. They're going to be greedy and swindlers and idolaters. What, I mean, that's not who we are to go around judging and fixing. But the church is called to be different. So he says, that's, that's the issue. Okay. Now, does that mean we can't um, uh, you know, stand against something? No, of course not. We can, but it's not the church's calling. It's not what the church is called to. If individuals want to um, you know, stand up for something, and in a democracy we can vote differently, we can, we can um, do things like that, then praise the Lord for that. Do that, but don't make that the mark of being a Christian political activism or anything like that. Um, that's not the mark of being a Christian. The mark of a Christian is, is holiness. Okay. Um, does that make sense? Is that, okay. No way my oh, head is. Okay, chapter six, we didn't even put this down. They were suing each other in court, okay, in the church. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, lots of problems here, okay? Um, he says, no, man, what, don't you know you're going to judge angels? Just learn to figure it out, okay? Uh, deal with it yourselves. Okay. Um, now, if you look at uh, chapter 6, verse 11... Well, no, let's, let's uh, say verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Very, very important. There is a move to say, I'm a homosexual Christian. And the person will say, no, practicing homosexuality is wrong, but I, um, these are the desires that I have. Okay. Now, um, I, I, I agree that the desires or the temptations someone has, that's not sinful. Okay. Simply because I'm tempted in a certain way, that's, Jesus was tempted. In every point. Does that mean he's a filthy sinner? No, of course not. He was without sin. So the temptation that pulls us in a certain way, no matter how perverted it might be, that's not the sin. Okay. But Paul here says, such were some of you. That's not our identity. Okay. So if I still battle with, with uh, homosexual temptation or heterosexual temptation, any temptation, I don't def I'm not defined by... I'm a greedy Christian. I'm a drunk Christian. I'm a lustful Christian. That's not how we are defined. Such were some of you. Okay. No matter what we've done, our, our standing in Christ now is different. We are saints. We are saints who still sin and still battle with sin, but uh, you, you are not defined by your sin anymore. Okay. Very important. Um, in fact, you won't find in the New Testament that we are called sinners. Uh, Paul, Paul will say of himself, I am the chief of sinners. Okay? But he doesn't go around calling other people sinners. He calls them saints. Okay? And so it's very, very important, especially in, 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 in the last few years. Um, such were some of you. That was our primary identity. 
but not anymore. Uh, we, are, we are washed, we are clean, we are justified, we are saints who unfortunately still battle with sin and sometimes fall into sin, but that's not what defines us anymore. Okay, now if you look at chapter 6, verse 12, just, just to give you an idea, you'll see in the English Standard Version, it says, all things are lawful for me, but it's in quotation marks. Do you see that? The, the, the translators have put that in there. They are saying that Paul here is quoting from their letter, okay, where they said all things are lawful for us. But then you notice what Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. Then also in quotation marks. And then Paul says, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Okay. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. So, uh, and I think they're correct in where they're putting their quotation marks. Because he's responding to their little statements in their letter and one of the problems with the corinthians and it's a problem today and it was a problem at that time because uh sex was just seen as an appetite okay we we have a we have a desire for food and so we have a meal we have a sex drive so we have sex it's not a big deal okay and that's very a very modern view isn't it modern people think they're very sophisticated it's an ancient view okay uh, where they're like, it's not a big deal, man. Uh, I, I was listening to a lady professor with with this whole thing with Russell Brand, the the actor who's been accused now of by several women of rape and grooming. But he's famous for being very promiscuous. He he boasts about it. He was he was just very upfront. And they they interview this lady who's a professor on social justice. And um, she said, no, he, um, what they've seen is if one woman accuses someone of rape, there's a 93% chance that it's true. If there's two women, it goes up to 99%. If there's four women, it's, it's, it's done because he's denying it. And then the, the, interv the person interviewing her said, what do you think of that he was promiscuous and he would all his vulgar you know, comedy? And she said, oh, no, I loved that. I loved, you know... You can, you can have sex with whoever you like. No one can say anything about that. Mm. They don't see the connection with if you're going to just treat it as a meal and objectify someone, of course, mm. what, is, what is grooming and rape? And it's, it's a natural progression because the person is simply an object. Mm. It's, it's not a... But what they're trying to do is say, no, you can just sleep around and, and make it nothing um, as though it's absolutely meaningless. It's just an appetite. But then suddenly, if, if you do this, then it's sinful and it's bad and it's wrong. It, they're inconsistent. And what Paul says, he goes on to say, is that no, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So what he actually says is that sex is actually an act of worship. Okay. It's not the same as eating a meal. Okay. It's, it's not the, just an appetite and you just... Your body is made for the, the Lord and God created sex and intimacy and he's here giving them a biblical view of of sexual intimacy that's very countercultural to the corinthian context and to to our context um 
and then he talks about your bodies belong to the Lord and etc etc so um, and then he says verse 19 that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you okay so we have the Holy Spirit within us we are the temple of the Lord and um, and so we are to use our bodies in an appropriate way okay uh, now it's also interesting especially as we we've just finished Chronicles and the whole thing of the temple that Jesus is the true temple, but now those who are believers are also called the temple of God. Uh, we are joined to Christ and are given the Holy Spirit. God lives within us. Okay. Um, chapter 7, he continues to talk about marriage and um, uh, divorce. Um, he's answering, he's dealing with their questions. Uh, Chapter 8, food offered to idols. Um, Chapter 10, then, is where where this, the whole thing of the idols and food and the interaction with them um, comes out. And that then leads us into chapter 11, which is communion. And that's really uh, the way of escape. Because in chapter 10, he talks about you can't, you, uh, notice what he says here. Um, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So that's uh, what Ricardo was saying. They were, some of them were still partaking in, in temple rituals and then coming to church as well. Okay. Um, okay, so chapter 11 then deals with the Lord's Supper. And then chapter 12 comes to this whole issue of spiritual gifts. Now, Notice how he starts in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers or brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. So already he's, he's telling them, you guys are a bit dumb on this issue. Okay, <laughs> He says, I, uh, I don't want you to be uninformed. Okay, He's going to go on to say not to be children in this matter. Okay. So he's not praising them for what they are doing. There's lots of problems here. And then he goes through the gifts and he says, well, different gifts are given to different people, but it's from the same, the same Lord. And he says, uh, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, it's a, he likes that image. He uses it in Romans 12 as well. It's a, it's a good analogy. And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he says this, for in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, this might not be a problem for anyone here, but there have been churches that believe that, remember we did Acts, that when you are saved, you receive the Lord Jesus, but you don't yet have the Holy Spirit. And you need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second experience. Other churches will say, no, you do get the Holy Spirit, but you're not yet baptized fully. Okay? 
with the, and they normally say with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Sometimes it's called a second blessing. Okay. Paul here says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body and were all made to drink of one spirit. So if you're a believer, you were baptized by the spirit and have been made to drink of the spirit. That's salvation. Okay. There's not another baptism in the spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit and you've already been baptized into one body. He then goes on to talk about the different gifts. And at the end, he uses a a rhetorical device. Uh, He says, um, there's different types of gifts. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. Verse 29 says, are all apostles? Question mark. What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. So again, some denominations have taught every, every Christian can experience a second baptism with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Paul says, do all speak in tongues? No. Okay. So right up front, that's an error. Even if it continued, the reality is not everyone can speak in another language that they didn't learn. Okay, Paul says that. Then he says, verse 13, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. So he says there's something even better than spiritual gifts. And that brings us to chapter 13. What's chapter 13 famous for? Love. Love. Okay. So the, the thing that all of us should be chasing is love. That's the, the highest. Not chasing after manifestations of spiritual gifts, but chasing after love. And it's normally, you know, this passage is often read at weddings. There's nothing wrong with that. But really the context is the church. It's talking about the church. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So people have said, yes, the, um, in, in Acts, remember we saw there were real languages. People said, how is it we can understand them speaking our languages? And then today we have people speaking not in real languages. Okay, um, Repeating phrases. Uh, it's not, it's, there's no syntax. There's no grammar. It's, it's it, you, gibberish. Okay. They would say, they say, see from this passage, they would say it's the tongues of angels. Okay. This is how angels speak. Now, we don't have any, anywhere in the Bible where it tells us the language that angels speak. Whenever they do talk, they talk the language of people. But when you read it, this is a poem, and he's using hyperbole, exaggeration for effect. You can see that he says, um, if I, verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith. If you have all knowledge, you're omnipotent, omniscient. Okay. See, it's, he's just saying, you know, if you could speak in all the languages of the world, even languages of angels, if you could speak in, if you knew all things, if you had all faith, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. It's just a poetic license. It's not to be taken literally. Okay, well, that's to justify what we do because we just speak the tongues of angels. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's to read incorrectly. Um, but isn't that amazing? If you could do all of those things, even the next passage in Sermon on the Mount, 
many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy? He says, I never knew you. That's not the mark. The mark of a Christian is love. Okay. You can give your whole body to be burned. You could be a martyr. But if you do not have love, you gain nothing. And then he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not uh, irritable or resentful. Very convicting, isn't it? Um, it does not rejoice at... Well, not, maybe not for you guys, but for me. <laughs> uh, it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay. Um, so, this is primary. Okay. Um, That's the most important thing, love. Chapter 14, he comes back to uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, so Paul is not against spiritual gifts at all. So we are not against it. Uh, what we what we see with spiritual gifts is that there are a lot of them, and we we didn't have time when we looked at Romans. Okay, so there are a lot of spiritual gifts. Some of them are um, pastors, teachers, um, administrators. The gift of giving, people who can be especially generous, Um, hospitality. Uh, Do deacons fall in any of those categories? No, Uh, not. They they would have specific, you know, maybe. um, Like, like maybe generosity or something like that, or um, administrative abilities or something like that. So, but the office itself is not called a, a gift. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm not sure if you spoke about it last week, but um, what are the different gifts? Like, so spiritual gifts, and then there's like fruits of the spirit. Yeah, so fruits like of the spirit are the ethical side. Okay. Love, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, gentleness, yeah. kindness. These are abilities that are given to okay. people by the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so it, not everyone has so does like as a believer, do we at least have one of these or is it like only certain people who get So when we we only have sort of two or three pla three places that any lists are given. So okay. uh, Romans, Corinthians and Peter. And Peter and they're not exhaustive. Mm-hmm. But Peter says there's talking gifts and doing gifts. He just sort of puts it under those two headings. Okay, so some people have talking gifts, um, preaching, teaching, and others have doing gifts, and that that can be a whole lot of things: administration, hospitality, giving, generosity, kind. Of, you know, in 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 special care for people okay, can be okay. all of those things. Okay. Then we have also under spiritual gifts what some people call the power gifts. Okay. That's healing, miracles, uh, prophecy, um, speaking other languages. Okay. And this is really where the fight is. Okay. Um, do these still continue? Okay. So the, I would argue no. Because the other thing is that in the Bible, it's miracle workers. So a lot of people say, oh, 
you people deny miracles. No, no, we don't deny miracles. Uh, God can do miracles and we can pray and ask God to heal and do things. And sometimes he does. What we find in the Bible, this gift is miracle workers, where they would walk and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Okay. Publicly. Verifiable, organic healing. It's not, you know, oh, it's amazing. The pain in my back is gone, uh, which can just happen because of, you know, adrenaline or whatever. Um, you know, guys don't have eyes in their sockets and they given eyes. A guy's hand is shriveled up and it's extended. Okay. Uh, so it's miracle workers. I, I would say, no, there's no more miracle workers because we spoke about last week in Acts, because it was a time of transition and God was, was getting Israel's attention and Jews seek after signs and wonders. Okay. And also uh, with languages, you can, you can listen to the audio, the, the, it was a judgment. Well, actually, it's in this passage. So if you go to chapter 14, verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Okay. So, so they were trying to outdo each other. We don't have time to, to go into it. They were trying to outdo each other in, in um, these gifts. Okay, these... Uh, sort of sexy gifts. You, know, you could say these are flashy gifts. These are the ones everyone like sees. They were trying to outdo each other. And I don't know if you've ever been to a church where people try to outdo each other. Um, I've, I've seen it. It's quite disgusting because you will, you will see someone will, like a lady will stand up and start praying and walk around and shouting and praying and praying. And then she'll sit down and another lady will get up straight away and try and shout louder and then and then when she sits down, that first lady gets back up again. And, and you realize, this is, it's not about the Lord and mm. loving the Lord and loving each other. It's really a competition. And that's what was happening in Corinth. They were trying to outdo each other with the flashiness of their gifts. And, um, and remember, they've come from, they're coming from pagan backgrounds. You can go and look at most pagan religions. You can go to Voodooism, animism, witch doctors, sangomas. They will have a form of ecstatic speech, okay. And the ancient world, we knew this as well. The the um, the oracles at Delphi and in the Greek world, they would go into this ecstatic speech, okay, gibberish, but it's it's it sometimes it's demonic, okay. I don't um, I don't I don't say what goes on in in many churches is demonic. I think it's just confused and unfortunate, but. Um, but they're coming from that background of bringing ecstatic speech into the church. And so Paul has to deal with that. And he says, I don't want, stop being babies. Stop being infants. Okay, you can be an infant in evil. That's good. But in your thinking, be mature. So again, um, and this is the experience of many Christians, if you're in a church that believes in a second baptism with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and I can, I can say this because I, I did it. Okay. <laughs> when they call you up and they say start speaking in tongues, they say, don't think. Switch off your mind. Mm. They use this passage from John, out of your belly will flow. What are, I don't know what belly, rivers of living water has to do with speaking in tongues. But anyway, they use that passage. So they say, um, just, just, you know, just let it come from in here. Mm. 
okay? Mm. Switch off. Don't think. Don't be rational. Switch. Now, that's totally unchristian. Okay? Mm. We're never told to not think. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Worship Him with your mind. Love God with your mind. Don't you know, Paul says, over and over again. So, Paul is saying, think. Be mature. These things, what is going on here? Verse 21. In the law, the Old Testament, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Okay? Tongues are actually a sign for unbelievers, and it was for the Jews. Okay? And he quotes from Isaiah 28 here. And I said, and I, I told you this last week, remember at Pentecost, all the Jews are there from all over the world, and now they're hearing foreign languages in Jerusalem, and they understand that's an act of judgment. Okay? They need to repent, and that's what he's saying here. The, these these um, languages, these foreign languages, are actually a sign to unbelievers, and specifically the Jews, to repent. Okay? So now you'd say, well, that's already happened. Um, okay, so... Um, okay, we've got to get through Second Corinthians. Okay. Okay. So then, Second Corinthians is Paul's most personal letter, and it's really my favorite. Um, it is. One can read, you know, Paul's epistles, and you don't. It's hard to know what type of man he was. Sometimes I remember as a teenager, I used to think Paul was quite an arrogant man. Um, but I don't hold that anymore. The more I read Second Corinthians, I see a godly man who loved the Lord and loved people and was heartbroken when they were deceived or they turned against him. I mean, he says some very vulnerable things here, like he wants them to love him. Like it's very, he doesn't say, well, I don't care if you don't love me. It doesn't matter. I don't need you. <laughs> he 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 knows that if they love him, then they're going to heaven. Because if, if you love Paul and his teachings, it's a good principle. Because it's interesting, a lot of Christians don't like Paul. They say Paul was misogynistic, he was homophobic, he was legalistic, all well, of these things. Day. Yeah. And so there, there are whole schools that, that chuck Paul's writings out. But Paul knows... Because it's the gospel that he received from Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming God's truth. If you reject him, you're rejecting Christ. So, um, but anyway, what's happened in Corinth is that false apostles have crept in. And in Corinth, because it was a Greek city, and um, if you were there at Bible Hour, we did Augustine. Augustine was a teacher of rhetoric. There was a love of rhetoric. And that was one of the reasons for division in chapter 1. Because Apollos was a good preacher. Okay? Apollos was very skilled in Greek. And the Corinthians were in, influenced by this by um, rhetorical ability. Okay? And um, Greek rhetoricians could argue either point. A good rhetorician could, could win the case either way. They weren't really people of character who ever paid them to argue the point. Okay? They would, they would go with. So they're bringing that concept to, to the, uh, to the church as well, and these false apostles come in who are eloquent, who are dynamic. Okay, 
Again, we don't have time. We did a series in Second Corinthians. The, the sermon series is online. We went through the whole book. They were they were dynamic. They were they spoke well. They were sophisticated. They mocked Paul. Paul from this we find that Paul was not good looking. Okay. His speech, they said this. They said his speech is powerful, but his bodily presence is contemptible. Okay, he was ugly. Um they uh, they boast in, they had a CV, they boast in all their achievements and um, who they know. And Paul says, you're my achievement okay. to the church. Okay. You're, I don't need a letter or, you know, of approval. You've seen my life. I lived with you. I worked with you. And it's a very important one because a principle for us today, especially with YouTube and social media and so many um, gurus. Okay? Who do you actually, who are you going to actually trust? Okay? If you're just going to go with the guy who's the most sophisticated and eloquent, well, then you can be deceived because you don't know the person's character. And let me also say, um, I, I don't know how much, I don't think it's a much of a prominent heritage, but there are people who sit in their church and they're like... Uh, actually, I really get fed by that overseas preacher. Mm. But in a sense, it's, it's like, um, one pastor put it like, it's like pornography. Okay, Because in pornography, it's not real. Okay? It's airbrushed and it's, it's fake. Okay? That pastor doesn't know you. Okay? He's never walked a mile with you. Okay? You don't know the problems in that church. You don't know anything that goes on there. But the person who actually walks a road and is there every week and meets with you and all does all of those things, you actually know that person in country. That's what Paul is saying. They might speak better. They might know more people. They might be better looking, all of those things. But you know me. I'm the only one who's actually loved you and walked a road with you. And these people are actually abusive. He says, he says um, um, and uh, it's, um, it is a remarkable thing that that human beings are drawn to narcissists and abusive people. Okay. Um, and I did a sermon called Stockholm Syndrome, where because it's true. Why do people go after like Donald Trump? I mean, he's, as an example, politically, these people are bullies, narcissists, abusive. But people are drawn to it. And it's the same in the church. They did a, they did a, a survey on the narcissist spectrum, pastors rate very highly often. Okay, <laughs> They're drawn to it because it's a place of power where you, you can just speak and you can influence people. So you, we have to be very, very careful who we listen to. And Paul has to defend his ministry. And he does it in the most remarkable way. He defends it by showing how weak he actually is. Okay. Uh, it's brilliant, actually. He shows that his weakness, he boasts in his weakness to say it's all of, all of Christ. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. You see the heart of Paul. You see his love for, for people. You see that he is like the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ in weakness overcame, didn't he? He came totally forsaken and naked man on a cross, rejected by all. And yet in that moment he is. Is winning the greatest victory. So I'd encourage you to read it. Yes, Duncan. I was going to ask, actually, um, were there other, well, I guess, well, they were, but like, 
were there other Christ-like figures after the death of Christ? Yes, there were those who claimed to be messiahs. Okay. So remember that not many Jews believed in Jesus. Mm. So there were others who, who came after, and then there was a final guy, Bar Kop, Kopka, I think it was, something like that. And he actually caused a lot of problems, and then the Romans were like, we've had enough of this, and that's when they, okay. they, um, they sort of ended. Okay, so it has stopped at some of Jewish messiahs. I mean, we still get fruitcakes now and then okay. who, who, who claim, but they're not really influential. But there they were because it was a me- there was this messianic fervor amongst the Jews. Oh, okay. Remember, they, they see that with Jesus. They're like, are you the one? They come to John the Baptist, are you the one? No, but I, I think maybe when I say Christ-like figures, I mean, like when you look at the Old Testament and look at some of the characters, you know, like, like Ruth. Like, oh, that uh, point us to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Do we yes. have that Oh, very good, very good. Okay. That's actually a very deep debate in theology is there a biblical theology in the new testament in other words are there still types and shadows in the new testament and i i would say yes okay so paul is a type of christ in in uh in his love in his faithful teaching in his sacrifice i would say all the apostles in some way point us to christ uh we don't have a lot of narrative in the new testament so this is why Second Corinthians is so interesting because it's it's narrow it's 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 um it's a th- basically a theological biography of Paul. It's le- no sorry, it's less theology and more biography. He talks about his life and and his sufferings and things like that. Um, do the figures in Revelations um, count then as the that like I guess it's less of a foreshadowing because it's like. The, you know, the totality of yeah. the, it's like at the mm. end. So, well, the, well, the so Christians yes. are in the in the in the character of Christ. They yeah. they're willing. They uh, love not their lives even unto death. Yeah. They, um, so, theoretically, would we all kind of be types of Christ? Types of Definitely, yeah. Okay. We we're supposed to be. We're supposed ah, to be. Yeah. Yeah, okay. um, Remember in Antioch, in Acts, we're told mm. that was the first place they called Christians. Literally, it means mm. little Christs. Okay. So, uh, prosperity people have messed that, that one up. They were like, you know, we're little Christs. We can... <laughs> but we are little Christs. We have God's Spirit in us, and we are to be little representations of what Jesus mm. is like. Okay. Um, so, I guess then that... That actually therein lies the totality of the like, New mm. Testament foreshadowing, like yeah, foreshadowing of or aftershadowing of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. So, so, Christ, okay. yeah. Oh, good question. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take a break and then uh, we'll we'll come back and look at First and Second Thessalonians. <laughs>